morning, Thrive Church. How's everyone doing this morning? It's always a great pleasure to be here. And uh, when I'm here, I feel like this is family, right? So you're a great church who loves God and lives for God, and that's the way it should be. Amen? How many of you are now ready to take the next steps in their faith journey? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Are you ready? All right. So I don't know about you, but do you, do you guys know what a crisis is? Because I uh, asked the congregation this morning, what is a crisis? Like, mm. Okay, so a crisis really is an event that could lead to an unstable or even dangerous, difficult situation. And it can affect a person. It can affect a group, which could be a community, a church. It could affect the neighborhood. Uh, it could affect the company. Or it could even affect the whole nation. What's an example of a personal crisis? Uh, an example would be your health. There's a problem with your health, you lost your job, um, problems within the family, it could be relationships, right? So you have a problem, you have a crisis. Can everyone say crisis? An example of crisis that can affect the whole nation could be high interest rates or high unemployment rates, right? So high interest rates could cause the economic growth of the nation to slow down, making things unaffordable, right? And uh, high unemployment rates could lead to the foreclosure, of people's homes, poverty. It could lead to high crime rates. So a national crisis could easily lead to a personal crisis. And then we have to consider other crises that affect the spiritual condition of a nation. Such crises would include the legalization of divorce, the legalization of abortion, legalization of same-sex marriage, legalization of illegal drugs like cannabis. So these actions, which are becoming, becoming more and more acceptable in our society today could, would easily could easily cause and it will cause nations to move further and further away from God and his godly principles. This morning I would like us to study a few verses from 1 Kings 17 which tells us a story about a nation that experienced a severe crisis which affected both the godly and the ungodly. And it affected um, the nation of Israel. And God wants us to learn these biblical principles so that we can af apply this in our lives when we are in a problem situation or crisis situation. And the story that we will learn from are very relevant and applicable today just as they were thousands of years ago during the times of the prophet Elijah. So the title for message this morning is Things to Remember in a crisis. First Kings 17 talks about the specific period in the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, church, after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel got divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And First Kings 17 talks about probably the darkest period in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. Why is that? Because it was ruled by a man by the name of Ahab. His name was King Ahab, and he was very wicked and sinful. And 1 Kings 16.33 says that Ahab did more. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord more than any of the other kings of Israel before him. Now listen, not only was Ahab wicked and sinful to make things worse, he married a Gentile, a foreigner, by the name of Queen Jezebel. And she was a full-time 
worshiper of false gods, especially the false god Baal. And so she had so much power and influence over Ahab and the nation of Israel that she managed to lead them towards the worship of the false god named Baal. Right? We only have one true living God. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Clearly, the northern kingdom was in a crisis. To be more specific, it was in a spiritual crisis that saw a moral and spiritual decline in this kingdom. So God sent prophets to actually both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah to try and save and rescue the people from this moral, spiritual decline. And the prophet Elijah was just the first among a long line of prophets that God sent to both kingdoms. And Elijah was actually, obviously, he's an Israelite, but he was from Tishbe. And so Elijah was a Tishbite, and Tishbites are known to be tough people. Now, not only was Elijah tough, but if you will read or learn about the life of Elijah, you will learn that he was also a man of faith, a man of boldness, a man of courage, and he was also very prayerful. At this point in time, I'd like to just invite uh, everyone to please stand up as we read the nine verses, first nine verses of 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's read these uh, verses together. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerit ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerit ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You guys may be seated. Just imagine this, picture this, the boldness and courage of Elijah. Right? King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, the most wicked king, queen couple of all times in the nation of Israel, in their history. And just imagine this king and queen surrounded by their loyal subjects and their bodyguards. And I'm pretty sure that anyone who stood in the presence of this couple would probably cower or be in fear, right? Because these guys are wicked. At any point in time, they could say, just off with his head and you're done, right? But just imagine here, Elijah somehow managed to avoid the bodyguards of the king and queen. And we find him in front of the king and queen, and he declares with boldness. He told them in their faces that there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years. And 1 Kings 18 and James chapter 5 and Luke chapter 4 tells us that this drought lasted for three and a half years. Can everybody say long time? It is clear that this was a punishment served by God to the idolatrous nation of Israel. Now, Elijah's message not only challenged Ahab and Jezebel, but it also challenged the false god, Baal. You see, Baal was believed by those who worshipped him to be the god that brought rains and a bountiful harvest. 
And so when Elijah said there will be no rain for the next few years, he was actually challenging Baal to see if Baal can stop this drought from taking place. But as we all know, as soon as Elijah delivered the message, the rain stopped falling and it did not rain for the next three and a half years. I'm pretty sure that because Baal um, was the God who supposedly brought rains, Ahab and Jezebel and all the 450 prophets that served Baal, they all probably prayed and brought sacrifices to the false god Baal. But no matter what they did, no rain came. No rain came. Why is that? Because at the end of verse 1, which we read earlier, Elijah said that rain would not come except at my word. So the drought led to serious problems. Just like today, people back in those days need water to, to uh, drink, wash their clothes, take a shower, cook their food. Right? Animals need to drink water. Water is needed to grow crops. So no water means no harvest of wheat, grain, corn, uh, fruits, whatever, right? So no water, no crops, no food. This means famine. Can everybody say famine? So by declaring a drought, which led to a famine, Elijah actually also put himself in a position of need, right? Elijah also found himself in a personal crisis situation. This was a national crisis that became a personal crisis for himself, right? Because he too would have no water to drink, he would have no food to eat. But because Elijah was a godly man, he depended on God, while the northern kingdom of Israel depended on the false god Baal. The main biblical principle that we will learn from our study today is that in any crisis, God is our source. God is our source. Now, in times of blessings, it is easy to remember that God is our source. We rejoice. But in times of crisis, we need to remember that God is our source. Now, when, I, when people say God is good, what do you normally say? God is good. And all the time, God is good. It's pretty quiet here. So when I say all the time, just for today, while Pastor Bon is here, when I say all the time, I want you to say, God is my source. No, I want you to say, God is my source, just for today, okay? Let's try that. All the time? Amen. If you believe that, say amen. So God used three methods to provide for Elijah during the drought and famine. In the same manner, God may provide uh, for our needs in many ways. But regardless of how God chooses to meet our needs, regardless of the instruments that he uses, we need to remind ourselves that all the time, God is our source. You see, as human beings, what do we do? We tend to look at our, our companies, our businesses, our paychecks, our bank accounts, our RRSPs, our retirement savings plans, right? Some of you guys might have rich families, so we look at that, right? But we need to understand that those are just instrument, instruments. Those are not the sources of our needs. When we need to draw water from a well, you would need a bucket. Right? So we lower the bucket into the well in order to draw water from the well. But once the bucket is empty, it no longer has water, what do we need to do? We need to lower the bucket in order to get more water. So we need to differentiate uh, the, between the well and the bucket. The bucket is not the source of the water. 
The well is the source of the water. The bucket is just a holder. It is what God uses for us to receive what we need. In the same manner, God is the source of all our needs in our lives. Our jobs, our businesses, our families, our friends, and sometimes even strangers, which we will see later on in Elijah's stories and even my personal story, those are simply buckets or channels or instruments that God uses to meet our needs. And as we shall see later on, God may choose to change the bucket that he uses to meet our needs. So after Elijah delivered the message to Ahab, God directed Elijah to go someplace else. Now, it is interesting. God did not tell Elijah to go to a place where there will be an abundance of food and water, right? God did not tell Elijah, go to the southern kingdom of Judah, where the drought was not in effect. Nor did Elijah, or God say to Elijah, go to Egypt, go west, where there's going to be an abundance of food and water. Instead of directing Elijah to a special place where there was an abundance, God instead told Elijah to go to a place called the Kerit Ravine. And in that ravine was a brook, and a brook is simply a small body of fresh water. That's all there was in this ravine, just a brook. It was nowhere close to being the Garden of Eden, which was full of lots of fruit and vegetation. The Kerit Ravine was a place where the crisis would also be in effect. The Kerit Ravine was actually, listen, on the east side of the Jordan River. And Elijah was actually born in Tishbe, which was also in the east side of the Jordan River. So I think I can safely assume that Elijah knew where the Kerit Ravine was, and he knew that there was just a brook at the Kerit Ravine. So where would Elijah get his food from? Yeah, there's water over there, but where would he get his food from? But Elijah chose to trust and obey God. Can everybody say trust leads to obedience? If you believe that, say amen. So what did uh, Elijah do? He took a huge step of faith, and instead of heading west, maybe towards Egypt, he headed east towards the Kerit Ravine, just like God directed him to. So God provided in three ways. Number one, God provided through ravens. Can everybody say ravens? But God was the source. Can everybody say God was the source? When Elijah declared the drought, it probably crossed his mind that, hey, wait a minute, I'm also going to be affected by this drought and famine. And we are no different from Elijah. Right? The moment we hear the words company restructuring or layoffs or recession or um, whatever, right? our mind immediately races to the war situation. Right? We immediately think our, in our minds, oh, you know, I might, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to feed my family. Right? So worry immediately settles in our hearts. Right? How many of you can relate to me? Raise your hands. You don't worry, guys? Are you dead or alive? Everyone here worries, right? But this should remind us of uh, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 26. Can we please read these two verses together? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So the message here is not to worry. You see, worrying is not only stressful, but it can make your body sick, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't lived long enough, right? So one day you'll get there. But when you get there, make sure you uh, know what to do based on what we learned today. So what else does it do to us? Worry affects the way we treat other people, right? We become unpleasant around other people. So what Jesus was saying here in Matthew 6 is that we should trust God for our needs, right? Because it is a better way to live life. Can everybody repeat after me? Trusting Jesus is a better way to live than worrying. If God feeds the birds of the air, and if we are more valuable than the birds of the air, and we are, right? Then God will feed us. God will provide for our needs, right? Not necessarily all our wants, but our needs at the very least. So this is a promise of God, and we therefore need to stand in that promise by trusting in him. So God was the source of Elijah's food. In verse 4, God said, I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And then verse 6 says, The ravens brought Elijah bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So this is quite ironic. Matthew 6, Jesus said, God the Father feeds the birds of the air. And here we see that the birds of the air will feed Elijah. And listen, folks, this is not a fairy tale. This is not false news, right? This is not CNN, right? It's false news, right? This is true, right? This is a true story, even if you think it's not. But if you are a believer in the Word of God, all the Word of God is uh, applicable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. If you believe that, say amen. So we believe the entire Bible. So God provided for Elijah through birds, and this did not make sense at all for Elijah, and neither does it make sense for any of us here today, right? Imagine having birds come to you, delivering bread and meat in the morning and evening, right? What is this, Amazon Prime, right? So this birds just came right on schedule in the morning and in the evening, right? You can see that in the next slide. This doesn't make sense, right? So... And this was probably that uh, made Elijah be in awe of God. He probably said to himself, this is above natural. This is supernatural. This is a miracle. Also on the next slide, I would not be surprised if there was hesitation on Elijah's part to receive food from ravens. First of all, ravens were not exactly pretty birds, right? Do you like looking at ravens? They're, block, they're black, they're ugly, they're scary to look at. They're birds of death and doom. That's why they're probably used in, in horror movies, right? They're scary. They're not pleasant to look at, unlike pigeons or doves or robins. So ravens are also extremely resourceful in finding food, right? They uh, feed on insects and they eat garbage, right? Whatever can fill their tummies, right? They eat garbage. So these birds are not exactly clean. Can everybody say unclean? And this is why in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 11, God commanded that the Israelites should not eat ravens, nor should the Israelite touch the dead bodies or the carcasses of ravens. But you know what? God was not really asking Elijah to eat the ravens. All he was saying is, trust me. I know what I'm doing when I have commanded the ravens to bring you food. 
And so as a result of Elijah's obedience to go to the carrot brook and to receive food from the beaks of unclean animals or birds, Elijah's needs were met in a time when food was very, very scarce, very limited. So God provided for Elijah through the ravens, but he realized that God was the source. Are you guys learning something this morning? Amen. So secondly, God provided through a brook. Can everybody say, repeat after me, brook, but God was the source. In verse 4, God told Elijah, you will drink from the brook. So uh, not only did uh, God provide food, but he also provided fresh water. And verse 7 says that something happened to the brook. The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the drought was also in effect, uh, also took effect. It was also felt here in this place. And right after the brook dried up, God then told Elijah to move to someplace else. Now you have to think about this, right? Again, God did something that we as human beings would not do. On the next slide, a slide is a question, right? Um, would you drive your car to the gas station? Next slide. When your tank is at empty or before the tank becomes empty? A or B? B, right? But imagine this. As this brook was drying up, every time Elijah went to the brook, he probably said to himself, wow, this brook is getting smaller and smaller every day. This brook is drying up. And so it must have crossed Elijah's mind to look for another source of water before his present source of water completely dried up. You know what I'm talking about, church? Amen? But because Elijah trusted God as the source of all his needs, he did not leave the brook until God told him to. Right? So trusting leads to obedience. So when the brook was finally all dried up, God told him to go to Zarephath, where a widow would eventually provide for his needs. Sometimes God will choose to change the buckets that he uses to meet our needs. But if we acknowledge that God is the source of all our needs, then we will submit to his ways and his timing. And this leads us to our third and final point. God provided through a widow. Can everybody repeat after me? Widow, but God was the source. So after the brook had dried up, God told Elijah in verse 9 to move to another location where God commanded the widow to supply him with food. Verse 9, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded the widow in that place to supply you with food. Now just like God's previous commands, this one also did not make sense, right? And this talks about the characteristic of God which is inscrutable. God is inscrutable. We will never understand how God works completely, right? Because he is God, right? We are just his creation. But if we truly trust in God, we will trust in his timing, in his ways, and we will be obedient to what he tells us to do. Again, God did something that we as human beings would not do. God waited for the brook. Well, hold on. So, he did something that, that we wouldn't do. First of all, God was asking Elijah to go to a foreign land. A foreign land. And not only was it a foreign land, but it was a place called Sidon. Sidon was a city in Phoenicia. Right? So this is Gentile land. This is outside of Israel. And so 
what is so different uh, about Phoenicia? Phoenicia is where Queen Jezebel came from. And the people there serve many false gods. And sometimes this can be our situation where we will find ourselves in dark places. But you know what? God can use us. God can bless us in dark places, right, where people openly reject God. If you believe that, say amen. God prov can provide for you anywhere and anytime. So also in such places, God can use us. Can everybody say, can everybody say God can use me? God can use you to be his buckets, to be, to be able to tell the others the good news about who Jesus Christ is so that God can use us to meet the spiritual needs of those who are in spiritual crisis, for those who are living in darkness, for those who don't have a Savior in Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. And now that the other thing that didn't make sense was that Elijah knew that it was against God's laws to take advantage of widows. That is what it says in Exodus chapter 22, right? It says, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. This makes me angry, says the Lord, and I will kill you with a sword. The widows and the orphans were the weakest and most vulnerable members in society. Widows were completely dependent upon other people for their survival, right? Today, widows are, are in our culture, they're in our nation, they're dependent on the government, right? But back in those days, the widows were completely dependent on other people. And in a time of drought and crisis, the people that the widow depends on, right, would no longer be available. Why? Because those people would now need to take care of themselves and their families first, right? So there probably will not be enough for them to be able to support the widows that they used to support. Right? So, for Elijah to rely on a widow was insensitive. It was cruel. It was just plain and simple wrong. Right? But regardless of how awkward God's command was, Elijah left Carrot Brook when God told him to, when the, when the brook was completely dry, and now he had to trust that God was going to provide for his needs through another bucket in the person of a widow from Zarephath. So really, Elijah was not taking advantage of the widow because God commanded the widow. And if you will study 1 Kings 17, 18 uh, by yourselves after today, you will find out that because of the obedience of this Gentile to God, because of her obedience, God blessed her tremendously. The buckets that God used to meet Elijah's needs had gone dry. The brook dried up. The ravens were no longer working for Amazon Prime, right? The buckets were now empty. It was time for the buckets to be replaced by God, who was the true source of everything that Elijah needed. So that's Elijah's story. Let me tell you my story. So um, many times in my life, I had many, had many crises. And uh, in September 2010 was, I guess, the start of the biggest crisis of my life. It lasted for five years. This was a big, long drought, right? And Pastor JB remembers this because we, uh, you know, we always kept in touch, and he knew about this crisis of mine. It lasted for five years. And I remember the time when my 
VP of uh, operations called me into his office, and he said, Bon, we have to let you go. You know, there's uh, some restructuring going on in the company. There's going to be a new CEO, and we have to let you go. You're the first in a long list of people that we need to let go of. And you know what, church? The moment I heard those words, God the Father st started speaking to me. And I told this to Pastor JB a long time ago. God the Father talked to me. He gave me the assurance that everything was going to be all right. And as I was listening to God, my boss was going blah, 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 blah. So it was like background noise. And I was really just listening to my Heavenly Father. True story, church. But in order for you to be able to receive from the Lord like that, you need to be in a close relationship with Him, right? If you are far from the Lord, I mean, maybe He can still reach out to you, but it was a very clear voice that I heard from my Father. If I had not re uh, heard from uh, God the Father during that time, I would have probably panicked like most people would have, right? Right? I ha I w we, were si our, we, are, we were on single income, and I have four kids that I had to support. And then God used me on week one of my time of darkness, in my time of crisis. My boss asked me, hey, do you want to leave today or do you want to leave at the end of the week? And I said, duh, okay, well, well I'll leave on Friday. So that means extra five days of pay. But I had a different intention. So as soon as people heard that I was uh, leaving the company, uh, one by one, for the next five days, people came to my office and... Uh, every time someone visited the office, I would tell them to sit down. And I closed the door, and guess what? I talked to them about Jesus. I talked about my Jesus, right? What are they going to do, fire me? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> fire me? <laughs> anyway, so in times of darkness, God can use us. If you believe that, say amen. And then during those five years, God used many buckets to help me and my family during the time of crisis. I'll just uh, say a few, mention a few of them. To start with, the company gave me a one-year severance pay. I was there for 15 years, and not only did they give me one year's pay, but they also gave me one-year extended medical and dental benefits. Never heard of that before, right? And then my wife's family, they were very supportive. Um, you know, they sent money every now and then. And then my sister-in-law from Greater Seattle uh, worked for a non-for-profit, not-for-profit organization. It's like, like a big food bank. And every other week, they would drive from Seattle. And they would bring us this huge chest or huge containers containing food and uh, meat and fish and cheese and, you know, everything. Like, so it's like, it's better than Amazon Prime, right? So, so we were just so... You know, the, I think our deep freezer today still has some of that meat and fish. That was like nine years ago. I think it's at the very bottom. We haven't had a chance to clean it. Then one year, a friend of ours paid for a property tax, right? And um, people from church gave me love offerings. Someone paid to have my water heater replaced. That's a big thing. My wife got a job, praise the Lord. She had not worked for 20 or 25 years that we were married, but she got a job. And then, believe it or not, a complete stranger, and I say complete, right? This is true. I didn't change any, uh, anything here. It's a complete stranger from Singapore who gave me $1,000, just like that, right? Just to let you know, all these channels of blessings, all these buckets did not come at the same time. 
when one bucket was all dried up, God would replace that bucket with another one. For example, my uh, extended one-year medical and dental, that lasted for one year. And guess what? The next day after that expired, my wife's benefits kicked in. All the time? All the time? Amen. So the bottom line is that my wife and I, during the long pri uh, crisis, we persevered in prayer and fasting. We never gave up ministering to the Lord. We kept serving God faithfully in our respective ministries, and we trusted God every step of the way. And we are just so amazed how God provided in so many ways and in his time. Because there were times when we thought, like, I would already get this specific job, but God delayed that for three months because he knew what was doing. And after three months, he gave me that same job. There's an inside story to that, but this just amazed me and my wife all the time. Today, when I pray in the morning, I always give thanks to God for all the things that he has done, not just during the crisis, but everything that we have. You see, John 3.16 is my favorite verse, but, sure, uh, but uh, right after that is John 3.27, also a second favorite verse of mine, which says, a person receives only what is given them from heaven above. So I'm always thankful for what me and my family have, and I always acknowledge that my job and everything that we have today can easily be taken away by God at any time he chooses. The crisis that we went through has kept us humble and has always caused us to acknowledge that God is the true source of all the things that we need in our lives. A few more slides. Uh, next slide, please. During a time of crisis, we need to pray and remain prayerful. Amen, church? We remain prayerful. That means we just don't pray once. What is this lottery ticket like? We buy lottery tickets, and I hope you don't buy lottery tickets, right? Because we trust in our God for prosperity. But anyways, uh, remain prayerful. And then like the song said earlier, shout your praise. Let your praises roar, right? Don't mumble. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Roar, shout to the Lord, right? We serve a living God, right, church? The same God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that helps us during our times of trouble and crisis. If you believe that, say amen. Next slide. Trust in God's promises, which means that we need to know what God's promises are, and we need to stand in those promises. We need to confess them in our lives, and we need to walk in obedience to uh, the things that he asks us to do. Next slide. We need to live a life of trusting God because that is a better way to live life than a life of worrying. In times of non-crisis, give thanks for all that he has done and be a bucket to others. Be a blessing to others. Keep your eyes open for those who are in need. Don't just say, bro, sis, I'll pray for you. If you have the ability to help someone, do it. Can everybody say, just do it? There you go. Next slide. Okay. So bottom line is, remember that all the time, God is our source. God bless you, church, and uh, let's clap for the Lord.